0: Hello, spyhards, diehards, Cam the Provocateur here. I'm currently lost in Europe on vacation. And so our regular programming is not really unfolding as it usually does. So in the meantime, we are going to give you an exclusive preview for one of our Agents in the Field episodes, which are available. If you'd like to hear more of them on our Patreon account, we'll have links to that in the show notes below. We are going to give you a preview of 1971's Dirty Harry. And if you enjoy this episode, there are more... Dirty Harry episodes behind the paywall. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And we will be back next week with a normal episode reviewing the 1956 Civil War spy caper film, The Great Locomotive Chase, produced by Walt Disney Studios and starring Fess Parker. So we hope this episode makes your day, and we'll see you next time.
1: Hello and welcome back to Spy Hard's Podcast. I'm Agent Scott. And
0: I'm Cam the Provocateur. And Scott, you can just get yourself another
1: delivery boy. Well, we've got some uh, dirty jobs to do this week, Cam. Dirty deeds done dirt cheap, because we are going to talk about
0: 1971's Dirty Harry. There is no ACDC connection to this movie, but I just felt like working that in some way.
1: You did. It landed. It's all good. Um, I've been looking forward to watching this film for quite some time since we tackled Firefox on the show about a year or so ago now like it's always people been like you've got to check out the Dirty Harry films and we had you know uh, Wendell Wellman who wrote Firefox which starred Clint Eastwood and he would also appear in the fourth uh, Dirty Harry film Sudden Impact
0: yeah that's right and also I think I feel like even on Twitter and what have you when we did Where Eagles Dare people were bringing up
1: Dirty Harry to you yeah, probably because I hadn't, I must have mentioned it then as well. Like I hadn't seen any of his films. Um, so I, it's been a long time coming and we're finally here. I finally got my 44 Magnum in hand and I'm ready to solve some crime. <laughs> solve crime, I guess. Uh, well, <laughs> shoot crime. I don't know.
0: Yeah. Mm. Yeah.
1: That's, that's San Francisco for what you, maybe. I don't know.
0: Well, not, not really. No, fair enough. <laughs> not really. Okay.
1: Sorry, San, Franciscan, San Franciscans. Sure. Yeah, those guys. Um, well, for those who haven't seen Dirty Harry, here is your letterbox.com synopsis. Oh, Lord. All right, fine. This is a long one. You'll be checking how many uh, bullets you have left in the chamber by the end of this. Dirty Harry. Detective Harry Callahan. He doesn't break murder cases, he smashes them. (laughs) I like that, that's great. Mm. When a madman, dubbed Scorpio, terrorizes San Francisco, hard-nosed cop Harry Callahan, famous for his take-no-prisoners attitude to law enforcement, is tasked with hunting down the psychopath. Harry eventually collars Scorpio in the process of rescuing a kidnapped victim, only to see him walk on technicalities. Now the maverick detective is determined to nail the maniac himself. It's so weird, because
0: this is a pretty stripped-down, straightforward movie. Mm. I I don't know why they felt they needed uh, that many sentences.
1: Very strange. Also, it kind of like removes all the tension of the first two acts of the film. Because you know yeah. that he gets arrested. Yeah. Weird. That's a weird choice.
0: Maybe it was written by Scorpio himself.
1: He mostly shouts, to be fair. That's true. It'd he be, does. It squeals. It, yeah. It'd be all caps. Um, but yeah, like, I. this is an Agents in the Field episode, obviously exclusive for you lovely patrons out there. So we won't get into the background of the film, but let's just talk about sort of Maybe a little bit about our experiences with the film in the past. Like, I'd never seen any of these. I'd been excited to do so. But Cam, I I think you had definitely seen these films.
0: Yeah, so when I was a teenager, a late teenager, I watched all the Dirty Harrys. I was a big fan at that point in time of the Lethal Weapon franchise, the Die Hard movies. And so I think I went into Dirty Harry expecting the wrong thing. Because, like, this is clearly not something akin to 80s action, like Lethal Weapon or Die Hard. And I remember watching it and being like, okay. And I knew just in pop culture of the whole, you know, make my day is a saying that would come into play in the fourth film. But the whole, do you feel lucky punk stuff in this movie? I knew that just from the pop culture world. So I really did think they would be more, I think, action-based cop, you know, thrillers. Sure. And I was kind of thrown, I remember, by this one. I watched the whole series And um, I would say I mostly enjoyed them all, but it wasn't until maybe like two or three years ago that I went back and revisited this first Dirty Harry and was much more impressed with the kind of the layers to that film. it's very problematic in a lot of ways, but in ways that are interesting. Like, there's movies that I think are just kind of gross to watch. There's Then there's others that you really get to examine the place and time in which it was coming and what was going on in the water. And I think Dirty Harry is a fascinating example of this, made by a great filmmaker. So, yeah, I kind of came around on Dirty Harry. Not that I disliked it the first time, just that I went in with, I think, um, the wrong assumptions about what it would be.
1: I never really got the impression it was particularly problematic. I know there's some stuff in the film some of the things it it deals with maybe is problematic but I don't think it's like you know one of our dinosaurs is missing problematic.
0: Not well I, I think more in terms of The fetishization of firearms, the uh, glorification of vigilante justice. There's a lot of like oddball things that were very much in the water in 1970s film.
1: This is kind of just cinema, though, isn't it, Cam? Like the glorification of guns, you still see in films now. uh, I mean, it's that's true. And uh, you know, vigilante justice. The Batman came out four months ago, and people you know flocked to see that.
0: Yeah, no, you're dead on right. But like this movie, even at the time was very controversial. There was a lot of critics referring to it as fascist filmmaking. It was a movie that carried a lot of baggage for, I think even today, you know, you look up reviews. I was just looking up on Letterboxd and people were referring to it as like morally repugnant um, using terms like that, you know, but still liking the movie, acknowledging kind of the masterful filmmaking on display and how interesting
1: the movie is. But saying like, morally, this movie really, really problematic. I suppose maybe in like what it's dealing with is problematic. It's like um, Taxi Driver. Yeah. That's that's not a problematic film, but it's right. the things it's tackling are potentially um, well, I'll use problematic again, but I don't know if that's the right word. But yeah, you know, there's something it's, it's, there's meat on the bone to discuss to chew mm-hmm, on, definitely, as it were. Um, well, I guess I'll jump in with my thoughts then because you already had sort of a background in it and maybe you can tell me what you think about it now after that i was surprisingly swept up in this one mm-hmm. i i thought it would leave me cold because i don't really like cop dramas i don't like the glorification of guns and all that sort of stuff you just mentioned really i like vigilante justice when it comes to like superhero films but that's superhero right. films it's it's meant to be hyper reality but there was like, just from the get go, you've got like, I think it's Lalo Le- Le- Schifrin did the the score to this, and it like hits you immediately. And you are so great. It's so, so great. great. I've listened to it since on my own, like just out when I I, think I, was, I was in the gym training, and I was just like, I'm going to put this on. It's not really a training album, but it just it was great. Um, and you, immediately you're just transported into this world of San Francisco in the mid 70s, and you feel the grime and the grit. And I completely buy Harry Callahan as a character. He has completely sold me instantaneously on this character. And so from that point on, I'm just being taken through the film as he chases down Scorpio. And then I find out all these really cool things about the film that the villain is played by Andrew Robinson. I didn't know that going into it. I'd only known Andrew Robinson as Garrick in Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Yeah. So it was nice to see him as a young man and still as bonkers back then as he was in, you know, in the mid-90s. Um, and and even, like, you, you got, like, Poppy from Seinfeld is here. I, I didn't expect that either. Uh, all these little things were cropping up that would, like, get a smile out of me. But at the same time, there's this really dark, gritty story in this. And I can just, I completely get if someone's like, said some of these, like, noir stories of the last 30 years were referencing back to this. Because I feel like this was maybe a bit of a watershed moment when it came to this sort of storytelling.
0: Yeah, it definitely was. Like, this movie was a huge hit. Yeah. um, Massive hit. Okay, I I have a feeling it would be, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And revisiting it last night, it just sucks you in. Mm -hmm. And it's such, like, a simple movie of just, there's a serial killer out there. His motives are, we don't really know what his motives are. um, And it's just this... Rigid, you know, lawman who has really no respect for the system, the way the system operates, and mm-hmm. kind of operates as this one man deliverer of justice. Um, and to me, like, it's Clint Eastwood understanding the iconography of himself as a performer. You know, we had just a few years before this, you've got the uh, Man with No Name trilogy, the you know, Western classics by Sergio Leone. So, like, Eastwood knows how to use his presence. And it's him applying that here. And there's so many moments where it's just Dirty Harry standing still. And you're like, holy crap. I think of a shot near the end when he, um, when Scorpio's on the school bus, and you just see Harry standing on the overpass from a distance. And you're like, wow, that is fantastic. And Don Siegel is like, in the realms of sort of filmmakers of this era, Don Siegel isn't one you're going to hear named at the top. But he was very much the mentor to uh, to Clint Eastwood as a director himself. He always said Don Siegel is the one who taught him everything he knew. And even in this movie there's a little nod to Eastwood's own directorial career. There's a movie theater that's playing Play Misty for Me, which was a Clint Eastwood directed film. I think it was his first film actually, and you see it a couple times in this movie. Um but like Don Siegel knows how to create this very like tense, involving you know, cop sort of procedural. Yeah. The procedural it's, it's elements are a little... It's in there. Yeah, it's in there. Um, But it's very much like a cat and mouse movie. Mm-hmm. And I kept thinking throughout, when they were doing all the press for The Dark Knight, Christopher Nolan over and over, uh, over, and over again cited um, Heat as his primary influence. And there was a few others. I never heard him mention Dirty Harry. And I was watching it last night going like, my God, there's a lot of similarities here. You have, as you said, like the vigilante element of the guy who's crossing the line because Batman does cross the line in the Dark Knight and it's very much pointed out by other characters. And you also have this villain who is, he doesn't seem to belong to a normal world. Like the Scorpio in this movie is very much this agent of chaos. There's, we don't know anything really about him. He's basically homeless, it seems. You know, he lives at a stadium um, and is just killing people just because he likes it. And the movie is frequently positioning these two against each other. And you can see that, like, Dirty Harry has issues. That it's not this, like, you know, pure white versus pure black. Like, there's weird shades of gray in the Dirty Harry character. And I think that reflects, you know, in movies going forward into the future. So I thought, like, this movie was just so interesting.
1: Uh, The moment where Harry Callahan's car turned into a motorbike uh, in the (laughs) middle of a car chase I thought was a bit much. But I, I bought it. He was, he sold me on the film. No, I, I think you're completely right. And yeah, a dark, the Dark Knight is actually a very good reference point because you, you think about Scorpio as a character. You say, like, as you said, you don't know anything about him. He's a complete cipher, basically. He gives you a, perhaps a tiny little bit of an idea of what he's trying to do at the beginning because he gives you who his targets are. But after that, it's basically a killing spree for no reason whatsoever. So you have... The only person you can say is like steadfast is Harry Callahan. He is your principal, you know, he's your lead man and you can't really follow the plot of anyone else. You have to focus on him and it is really all through his perspective as he takes this man down. It's very much like the opposite of The Day of the Jackal where you're following the bad guy. This is you are following the good guy as he takes the bad guy down in a very effective way. And one thing I think it really stands out for me, and I mentioned it in the top bit of my review, was just the world building, that grime and grit of San Francisco. Like there's bits where they're driving around basically in the dark and you can't see anything and he's like a peeping Tom through a window trying to do some detective work. At Hot Mary? Yeah, (laughs) at Hot Mary. Uh, I wrote her name down. Uh, Everyone was defending Hot Mary. She must just be uh, everyone's favorite. But I can buy it. I can buy it. That's exactly what San Fran was like. And there were stand-up citizens or cops i suppose that like did their best and perhaps broke the law to enforce the law and that is kind of that vigilante thing i don't know if it's necessarily a european thing it seems to be very much like that one man against it all which seems to be very like a north american stereotype you see quite a lot in film um and, it, and and also you mentioned the westerns that came before this this felt like a western just in a modern setting, even some of the shots of him, like with the Magnum at his side, and he's like going to draw it, and they just do the shot of like the gun in the holster, like well, his holster's on the side, I think. But anyway, like, he's going to draw it. Like they, they know how to build that tension. And going back to Eastwood, you mentioned uh, five. I mentioned Firewatch, and you mentioned Where Eagles Dare. And one of the cool things about Where Eagles Dare, the spy film we covered a couple of years ago now, is there was a lot more text for him, words for him to say on the script and he got rid of them all because he was like I'm much better when I'm just like going uh huh yeah Yeah. Mm-hmm. and that's exactly Harry Callahan's not telling you much about his life you find out his wife has died and he's you know doesn't really like bureaucracy but barring that he's just as mad on a mission trying to take someone down and it's just effortlessly cool
0: he doesn't seem to like anyone really because they have the point where, you know, does, uh you know, when he gets a new partner, they're like, does, does Harry, you know, dislike, you know, people of Latin descent? And they're like, oh, he dislikes everyone. Every group, every whatever. I mean, there's a part in the movie that's interesting where he's like watching when they're doing surveillance and they see like some sort of like swingers party or something. There's like a nudist answering a door. And uh you get this like look of just kind of like... <laughs> Disgust on Harry's face. This movie has a really interesting, I think, placement within American culture where it's like, this is after the Manson murders in 69. People are very wary of counterculture. And you have, you know, Scorpio wearing a peace sign belt. He has longer hair. It's very much this rigid man of the law against a crazed counterculture figure. And this was a period where people were just genuinely scared about this sort of like, you know, people that could be taking over the streets, as it were. And you also look, this is kind of falling into the uh the era of um dissatisfaction with the Vietnam War, um, so of uh, distrust in the government over things like that. Uh Watergate hasn't happened yet, so things are gonna get worse. This feels like we're kind of at that early point of 70s pessimism. Uh right now it's like anger over still the, like kind of the hippie movement and things like that and that Manson murder ripple effect, but You really get the sense of this guy who's just not happy with the world he lives in and wants it to operate on his own code. And there's an interesting element. And I brought up the Dark Knight comparisons because that movie very much holds Batman up and says, like, is this guy on the level? Dirty Harry has this shtick he does when he has someone at gunpoint and they might potentially reach for a gun. Where he recites this whole mantra. We all know it well. It's the do you feel lucky? Well, do you, punk? Um, Line. He does it twice in this movie, you know, at the start when he breaks up a bank robbery and at the end when he does it to Scorpio. It is very well rehearsed. And it leads me to really wonder how many times Dirty Harry has done this. Um, It feels like it's almost like this kind of routine he has to put himself through. Like he has a line when he's talking about Scorpio about how he knows he's going to kill again. And they say, well, how do you know? And he goes, because he likes it. And I'm like, you tie that together with Dirty Harry. Dirty Harry. And this weird bit of play acting he does, which usually, you know, ends with him pulling a trigger. It seems like there's a closer connection between these two men than perhaps Dirty Harry would like to admit.
1: I could totally buy that. I think if you did like a deeper reading of the text, that's definitely there. I think for me, it's a maybe a bit more surface level in the fact that he's just representing the everyman, wanting to sort of bring justice to the world never mind the consequences and that, that and that's why things like the batman really sort of appeal to people because they want to they see injustice around them they want to do something and and you know billionaire bruce wayne seems to be the embodiment of that even though none of us are billionaires um but so so i get why people i get why especially probably north america was very much behind this film because uh, yeah. it it feels like the sort of man who took the law into his own hands even though he is a, an inspector which is like quite a higher rank in the police. So he's been doing it for a very long time. And it would be followed a couple of years later by Deathwitch, uh, Deathwish, which
0: was like the Charles Bronson film, which there was a whole bunch of sequels as well. Like it really did kick
1: off a whole vigilante hero craze. Now, one thing I want to talk about and maybe a slight detriment to the film is it kind of goes, I don't want to say it outstays its welcome. I don't know if you noticed this at all, but I really felt like it, it had finished when he's arrested Scorpio at the football stadium. Right. I thought that was the end. And, it and, you know, that's actually like the end of the second act or like if you do like a five-act structure, maybe it's the end of the fourth. But, yeah, it, it feels like it's wrapped up because they've caught the bad guy. But then obviously because Dirty Harry, there are consequences to his actions, much like they hold up the mirror to Batman. They do sort of hold Harry to task for, you know, breaking and entering and then making all of the evidence they got completely invalid which actually tracks in real life that's actually quite cool they brought that in there was a consequence i wonder if that consequence holds up in future films if he has to keep dealing with that sort of bureaucracy or or it just goes more towards just harry being a badass but i i i was surprised to find there was another 40 minutes left or, or 30 minutes after that point
0: yeah i mean I know what you mean. Like, the movie builds to, like, just the tension of that pursuit through the park, Mm -hmm. you know, with that giant cross there in San Francisco. And then catching Scorpio that you're, like, you kind of exhale and you're like, okay. But... We got him. Yeah. I I think, like, had the movie wrapped there, and it would have been about an hour and ten minute movie, but nonetheless, had it wrapped there, I think it would be a really solid cop thriller. I think that extra section elevates it when you have scorpio getting out and basically framing harry uh callahan in the press that section i really like and that's where like you get a lot of really cool uh material of like harry just following this guy from location to location um the scene i uh, i'm I'm mixed on the scene with the uh the school bus I, i believe the school bus um hijacking was this movie was heavily inspired by the Zodiac killings in San Francisco in uh, 68 and 69. And Zodiac was someone who taunted the police through the press. Um, They never really caught him. I mean, we don't to this day quite know who it was. There's a lot of theories, but uh, it was something very much in pop culture at the time. And so I think like Zodiac had threatened, I believe, school buses in some of the letters to the police. And so they wanted to kind of tighten that connection, even though it's very overt right from the moment of the get-go where you've got him called Scorpio. Um, But uh, I think they wanted that school bus sequence. And I think it's very tense, but it doesn't have sort of that dark intensity of the first half. Like when you've got like Andy Robinson leading sing-alongs and screaming at people on a school bus, you're kind of like, yes, he's scary, but we've gone... Kind of cuckoo. Like this villain exists on a plane of existence that is in no way representative
1: of humanity. But you're right though, that second, it's not even a second half, it is probably the third act. Everyone kind of changes because Harry has to deal with consequence and you learn more about him. In that portion, he goes to visit Chico in the hospital or, or wherever. Like he does, he actually does something to show an affection for someone else and then he tells Chico's wife that his wife died. You find out a little bit more about Harry. And I think that's also where Scorpio kind of goes off off the edge as well because until this point he's, he's shot a few people but he's not really doing the sort of maniacal stuff whereas post that you've got him just killing a guy in a shop to get his gun speeding up an old man uh and then like shooting at kids in the school bus and like going he's, he's going insane basically trying to kill a cop uh so you're right maybe that is That last section is what bumps it up to maybe mythic status because this film is very highly regarded even now. Um, So I'm not saying it's not necessarily a complaint. It just felt like it was built up to that point. So I assumed that was the ending. Um, Maybe that's how it's supposed to work. Well, it's such like a impact moment too
0: when they're like hauling her body out of the ground and everything. And you've got him like squeezing his foot down on the wound in Scorpio's leg, it feels, the way like the music's crescendoing, like it could be the ending. And it would be like a hell of
1: an ending in a different crime film. Well, because the objectives are complete. The good guy has stopped the bad guy. He's failed in his objective to save the girl, but he's stopped any more murders. But then the film takes the rug out and goes, well, actually, hang on. He cheated, and here's the consequence. And for me, that's probably the thing I like the most is the fact that he has to deal with that consequence. he does overcome the odds still, but there is consequences to his actions, and I think that's maybe what is yeah bumping up high in other films
0: I think the reason that like certain critics um people like this movie like it's a, w- a very well regarded movie, so I'm not mm-hmm. saying it's one that's you know heavily slammed, but they've always been i think challenged by it um and trying to explain why they like it, despite the fact it maybe doesn't quite meet uh, what they would like politically out of it. And I think it's because Dirty Harry, the movie sides with him at a certain point. And I think it is like when that uh, evidence can't be used in court and Scorpio is out, uh, you know, kidnapping kids in a bus. Harry's like clearly the hero. Harry's the only one that can stop them because the, you know, the mayor and all the various police are either inept or just kind of like suck-ups to, you know, it's just like brown nosers and things Mm -hmm. like that. like they, They are just a complete bunch of useless bureaucrats and Harry's the only one that can actually stop this terror spree. So the movie is basically telling you this guy's a hero. And I think maybe that's why people are challenged by it. I don't have an issue when I watch the movie. It's very clearly this kind of moody character study of Harry Callahan, so you can kind of take what you'd like from the character. But I do think the movie kind of has a little bit of hero worship by the end where he's this lone figure standing on the bridge.
1: I I agree, but I would say that you could really transport this story to any decade. And it would be the same thing. It's not necessarily political. People that, I know that you could see politics in this film. Maybe it is there. But for me, it really is just about someone taking the law into their own hands. And this, this could be long before you have a judicial system. And this could be cavemen taking the law into their own hands it doesn't matter if they're not holding it for 44 magnum um so i, I i'm not too sure why people have that sort of problem with it it, it, it clearly is a good film people who say it isn't i think uh, I, I don't know probably reading too much into some sort of political political pull of this film uh, i can understand i suppose what i will say is because he's he is an anti-hero and it's one thing I uh, I am always quite hesitant to get behind our anti-heroes. Like, I don't like that recent Joker film. Yeah. Like, on the surface, I like it. But, like, people who actually get, like, tattoos of Flacking phoenix in the Joker outfit or, like, go dress up and go on those stairs in whatever town they shot that in. Like, I have I have questions about those people. I worry <laughs> about those people. So people who dress up like Harry Callahan with the forty-four Magnum and ask, walking around, say, do you feel the lucky punk? I've got some problems with that. But there's a moral core to the character that I think everyone can get behind because he's trying to do the right thing. And that's what I like. And I like that he's trying to do the right thing and there's obstacles to overcome, like bureaucracy, but he gets the bad guy in the end. It's actually very simple, like you said.
0: And I like that, you know, when he has the new partner and, you know, people are saying, oh, he hates everyone. Harry's, like, smirking about it. Like, you get the Mm. sense that this guy's not the monster that everyone likes to acknowledge him as like there is it, it's more a put upon kind of thing or a put on sort of um yeah yeah affectation on his part to kind of give off this whole surly vibe but he genuinely cares about that uh you know his partner chico when chico's like in the hospital and harry goes to visit like you can tell that he's actually like he actually cares about this individual and when chico's saying he's gonna leave and go become a teacher harry's like yeah you're probably making the wise choice And then he says, you know, why why do you still do it? And he's like, I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) What else have I got? Well, that's why I go back to this whole, like, Harry is being kind of addicted to violence thing. Where it's like, he doesn't know why he's still doing it. And just, I don't know. Like, this is not the typical life of a police officer in this universe. Like, most of the cops Harry's working with are not living the life he is. And uh, having these altercations. And there's that scene where they talk about, you know, the business he had in Fillmore where he shot an attempted rapist and he describes the incident of like a naked man with an erection and a butcher knife chasing a woman down an alley. And I'm like, that sounds like a very um, unrealistic uh, (laughs) description of a scenario. Like that feels like something straight out of a very like crazy exploitation film, not real life. Mm. And so it's like interesting how the movie is portraying that as like, you should just accept this as is. But I'm like,
1: was that really what happened? No, no. But like, that's this the that's the point. Is Harry is misleading his yeah. seniors, his senior officers. He lies about how he gets the evidence, and they find out. I suppose that he assaulted Scorpio and broke into the place, probably from the other officer that was there. So I imagine that was just Harry's point of view that he told his colleagues, and that's how he shot the guy. Whereas the reality might be that he just had a suspicion and and pulled his gun out. That that's. But then there's also a good reason, I imagine, why he is the man they reach to when they want to investigate Scorpio. You know, he's clearly the first in every day and the last one out working overtime. They even said, like, you should claim the overtime. He says, no, don't worry about it. Like he, He comes to work because he wants to serve justice.
0: And it also feels like his superiors don't approve of him, but at the same time are kind of willing to look the other way if it means that these things get resolved like I you know this movie ends famously with Harry throwing his badge away only to be followed by four sequels um, but I was uh, wondering about that like does it does it jump
1: back out of the water in the next one and he catches it <laughs> pretty much I mean he's back on the force a fish like kicks it back this flipper <laughs> <laughs> like oh the you me.
0: forgot this Harry <laughs> oh gee <laughs> take your star <laughs> what was that point <laughs> Oh, gee, I'm a fish. Saddle up, partner. (laughs) Blup, blup, blup. So, like, the movie, I think... Do you
1: feel lucky, punk? Well, (laughs) do you?
0: Oh, boy. (laughs) But, like, Dirty Harry, there's, like, multiple sequels, right? And it's, like, this movie, when I finished it, was, like, this... Had it just ended there, and there's no franchise mm. like that is a really strong ending about the journey of harry where he like realizes at the end that he can't do this anymore like he just there isn't
1: justice anymore
0: yeah exactly um it, it's i think a much more pessimistic darker ending than uh, a franchise would allow
1: then then the fish appearing and and saving the day
0: Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Unless you're playing the apes, in which case you try to top how depressing your ending is every time. But like they would go into, you know, four more Dirty Harry movies where it's like, you know, cases that Harry has to take on. There's always like a personal conflict with him through in the stories, but it's not this like, I need to leave the force. The force is breaking me. That sort of stuff kind of more or less
1: fades away. Would you say, I'm not saying we're going to tackle the sequels on here, I'm not sure we will, but. Do they, is it like diminishing returns with the sequels? Do they get less interesting as it goes? Or is it more about the world gets more interesting and Harry gets less interesting? I think every sequel finds an interesting angle on the character. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel
0: like it's um, just recycled stories over and over again. Um, and I guess we could leave it just to the patrons. If they would like to hear coverage of the full Dirty Harry series, a series let us know. Uh, send us a message on the Patreon um, because hey, we're doing Star Wars. It's not out of the realm of possibility. But um, it's I think like when you look at say the Lethal Weapons, there's a little bit of sameness as they keep going. Whereas I would say the Dirty Harrys, each of the movies very much stands on its own. Um, they all have an interesting angle. I would say that of the five, four of, of yeah, of the five, four of them are you know.
1: Good to to greet. Okay, maybe maybe we'll. You can let us know, guys. But like, I mean, overall, just my thoughts. and I suppose I I I genuinely enjoyed it. I I of all the films, it kind of reminded me of like Cool Hand Luke, not in terms of the actual film itself, but like of my reaction to ones we've tackled on Agents in the Field, where I was just drawn into the film. Top notch performances from everyone. From Clint Eastwood barely saying a word and being super cool like eating a hot dog whilst serving justice with his forty-four Magnum. That's, I, people don't like guns and things like that. I don't like guns, but that was cool. It looked cool, and you can't avoid that. What did you think of Andrew Robinson? Just uh, plain, simple, Scorpio. <laughs> uh, I was, I didn't know it was him at first. I didn't quite recognize him. I and then it kind of clicked in my head, because obviously I'm used to, Andy Robinson being under all that prosthetics, but after years of seeing him at conventions, I'm familiar with his face. Um, I actually really dug his kind of cr- lunatic, unhinged performance. I thought it was quite memorable. Um, like I, I, I was watching it with Hannah actually for most of it, and we both kind of like giggled when he was he'd been stabbed in the leg, and he really lent into that like limp running. Yeah, he for the rest of the film he had a limp. I was like, fair play. By the end, he was probably like. Uh, with a sore hip
0: and like that sound he makes when harry stabs him in the leg is like so animalistic like that could kind of describe the whole performance it's very like animalistic throughout it's just crazed and i think if you were to make this movie now they would be acknowledging this character is perhaps schizophrenic they would have more of a uh, attempt to psychoanalyze who he is um i like that the movie doesn't it makes it this more kind of primal hunt film between him and harry um and I mean, there's some incredibly tense moments of him on those rooftops when he is like lining up the shots right off the top set to that like jazzy kind of score. That sequence is incredibly tense. And then there's the one later where he's going to shoot uh, the gay man in the park Mm -hmm. and he can't get the shot and he's moving around and like just unbelievably tense filmmaking from Don Siegel there and the way it's edited and scored. And then when you have that, you know, the helicopter coming in. And it turns into like this chase, just unbelievable stuff. And I think this movie makes, it, it's so stripped down in so many ways, but I think it makes all of these like moments, even when it's just Harry and his partner, as you said, you know, driving around San Francisco at night looking for Scorpio. It makes those sequences so tense. And even just Harry running all over the city with a, you know, suitcase full of money trying to basically pass off the bag to get the hostage freed. All that stuff really does hold up. Well, I'm going
1: to ask you about that, because it was one of my notes. That felt very, like, Die Hard 3. Yeah. That chase. that That's good. I mean, I'm sure that chase is from something else anyway, but that, that had to have been a nod back to Dirty Harry, surely.
0: I think most American cop thrillers post-1970s uh, were definitely calling back to Harry uh, in some way or another.
1: I thought you were going to say Harry Palmer. "Mm, (laughs) well that's obvious that's all movies all movies look back to harry palmer this film actually does have a lot of strange camera angles to it speaking of the ipc file it does like whoever was a cinematographer on this was was trying to do something a bit different like that that shot where they're standing under the cross in the park in san francisco like they're looking up at harry as he's standing in front of the cross like it's like a very striking image I, i know i get annoyed by like people taking shots behind phone boxes but still
0: it's very stylish. Like, if you were to make this movie now, they probably wouldn't invest that level of artistry in the cinematography. It, w- it would look like the gray man. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like, uh, the cinematographer was Bruce Surtees, who worked on movies like Beverly Hills Cop, Escape from Alcatraz, another Eastwood movie, um, Conquest of the Planet of the Apes, which is very underrated. So, he was definitely like a very capable dude. And I think, like, This movie really just looks fantastic, and it's the sort of thing I definitely did not appreciate when I saw it back in the day, Mm. but watching it, you know, a couple years ago and then last night, I'm like, damn, this movie looks good, and I remember at the time when I first saw it, I didn't have that much of an appreciation for movies where it was like this very, like, (laughs) kind of sleazy 70s look. It was the sort of thing where I was like, this is a weird look, and I do not dig it, man. And now I love it. I watch like Taking of Pelham One Two Three and films like that. And I'm like, give me more movies set in this
1: gritty, kind of grungy universe. You, you've seen what the world looks like now. And you're like, nope, take me back to the 70s. I don't want to be here anymore. Give me some tan and like plaid and all that sort of thing. Yeah,
0: oh, yeah. take me back. Absolutely. Um,
1: I did have a question for you uh, just before we leave the Andy Robinson topic behind. Yeah. Because we we're talking about Batman. And I mentioned the Batman. And, you know, you've got... Um, who's the bad guy in that? The Riddler? The Paul, Riddler. Yeah, Paul Dano. Yeah, Paul Um So he is a, a kooky guy, and then you find out more about him, and you uncover the story through, like, they raid his apartment. You find out, like, what his motives are, and he's like an incel, that kind of thing. Whereas this, you don't know anything about Andy Robinson. Really, uh, at all. You don't find anything out. There, There is no, like, clues they really find out on the way. You get that little letter from him at the start. That's about it? Do you, is that enough for you? Are you happy with that delivery? Like did, did you want a little bit more or is that do you think that's just more films these days have conditioned us to want to have a story for your antagonist?
0: I think that's more modern filmmaking where everything has to be sometimes over explained. Um I I do think though that as movies, you know, continue through the decades and we have a better sense of mental health, we feel more um a need to try to understand just the psychology of villains. And that's not something in 1971 they would have been overly concerned with. It would have been more like, well, he's insane. He's an insane killer. And what more could you possibly say?
1: Yeah, I, I don't I don't think I needed any more. I was reading some reviews myself and people were lamenting the lack of depth to the Scorpio killer. Uh, and I was, I was fine with him just being a force that needed to be stopped, really. It, it didn't need any more explanation. This film is very light on... Words, right? Like, there's a lot of just visuals in the film, like the driving around San Francisco, the chasing, the running, the shooting. And I i was quite happy with that, despite having you know a reasonably long runtime I think a sub two hours. But, um, yeah, it didn't bore quite me quite
0: a bit, yeah, quite a bit shorter. It's I think an hour 40 basically. And I mean, I think the thing with Scorpio is he is a presence, like, that's what this movie needs him for. It doesn't care. It's larger than life. Yes, he's definitely larger than life. Um, He's almost like, it's almost comedic how this is like someone like Harry's worst nightmare come true. And he's basically there to allow us into the kind of the mindset of Dirty Harry. Not Mm -hmm. so much to give us, like when you watch the movie Heat, you understand De Niro and Pacino very, very well. Uh, I don't know that this movie cares as much if you are, uh, you know, empathizing with Scorpio. I I was curious. I had a question for you, though. We visited um, San Francisco, period-era San Francisco, not so long ago with Dr. Goldfoot. Mm. And that would have been what, like, um, not... 66, I think it was a 67. So, like, five years, four years before this movie. And just the depiction of San Francisco between the two was so interesting to me, where, like, San Francisco is a really beautiful city. And this movie is going out of its way to not show you the beautiful locations. A lot of it's very, like, grimy looking, a lot of, like, you know, porn theaters and, uh, like, strip clubs and just, like, these kind of, you know, kind of urban decay environments. Um, even like when they're in that park. It's not the most picturesque park you've ever seen before. It's kind of ugly.
1: Yeah, there's like beer cans on the floor. There's trash everywhere. Like, yeah, it's, it's grungy. It's grimy. Yeah, it's just interesting how
0: that difference between like what 1960s film likes to do versus like the 1970s, which was
1: much, just a much
0: more pessimistic time in filmmaking.
1: But look, I'm just thinking of the two comparisons in my head. It's like the two versions of Hill Valley and Back to the Future. Mm-hmm. Um... I think one was the 80s, though, wasn't it? Not the, not the 70s. That was for the porn theatres. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Yeah. Did they go back to the 70s at all? No, it was 65, 85, and 1885 it's interesting to
0: me that like this one is set in san francisco because that's not like the city i would have thought of like it feels almost in some ways like a new york movie and that's what the 70s was so famous for was these gritty
1: new york films but that's nice maybe that just gives it a different vibe like it it looks Mm -hmm. a bit different and plus i don't know maybe someone lived there and they just wanted to use some of the places like that cross is yeah, a big powerful shot i don't know if that's actually there in san francisco you've been there is that an actual place I have that cross I am completely unaware
0: of. It looks so like huge. If it, yeah, if it's there, I would like to go see it cuz that is a
1: very iconic location in a movie. Yeah. It feels like the amount the size of it it should have been there. Maybe it was and they've taken it down. I'll have a look. Um but yeah, any final notes before we try and turn it into a spy film? I don't think so. It's much more
0: straightforward than a lot of the movies we cover. I think Mm. on this show, yeah, Um, it's one I think holds up fantastically well. And if you haven't seen Dirty Harry and you're only really aware of like you know the memes or the just the pop culture, you know, the snippets of dialogue that have made their way into the zeitgeist over the years, um, over the decades, I should say, um, check out Dirty Harry. I think it's a lot more interesting than you might think, and it doesn't kind of fall into that kind of junky cop thriller, uh, you know, disposable franchise movie that you might think it would.
1: No, and it's also not like a particularly wanky cinematic, you know, uh, I'm not going to slag off David Lynch, but some of his films are a bit long and and weird. Um, you know, one of those like uh, auto directors and everyone has to love it because it was made by this person. It's just a ve- very good film. Like, it, as, mm-hmm. I'm sure general audiences all loved it. I wouldn't be surprised oh, at yeah. the time. Oh, yeah. It's four sequels. So, yeah, it makes complete sense. So, yeah, I, I would definitely say go out your way to watch it. If, if we haven't convinced you already, then allow my words to say so. Go, go and check it out. And uh, I can't vouch for the sequels, though, at this point. Um, I was trying to work in a joke about, like, Poppy and peeing into the chair, but uh, this film's too good for that.
0: Yeah, that's true. So I guess we have a question we have to ask. How do we turn this movie into
1: a spy movie? Hmm... So the trouble is, do you make Harry a spy or do you make Scorpio a spy?
0: I think we've gone this uh, route before, but I think you have to
1: make Scorpio like a rogue asset. Mm. Well, I was thinking more like Day of the Jackal where he he's an assassin. And he's trying to get to his target and then like, yeah. you've got the cop trying to take him down. But we allowed Day of the Jackal as a spy film. So I, I could still make Scorpio a spy in this, I think. I think so, and he's someone who, I think... Like, are we making
0: all of his targets actual, like, mission targets? Or is he sure. someone who's just, like, skipped the tracks, basically?
1: No, I don't think he's gone rogue. I think he is just... He's, he's an asset for hire at this point. Like, many spies, they just wander between um, worlds and, and different organizations and different countries uh, and are just, you know, guns for hire. I think that's pretty much what he is. What was the target going on when he was hijacking the school bus? What it was mission like a, was that? It was like a child of a senator, maybe, or something like that. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I, I, I mean, I, I won't joke about that too much, but yeah, I, I, that would be my spin on it, though. I, I'd be like, Harry is is law enforcement, which he is. That still fits the bill, but the Scorpio is your is your spy. So it's the day of the Scorpio, and he is. Maybe he's gone undercover as a hippie. It's like deep cover, and that's why he's living in the in the stadium. If you if you hate this pitch, by all means, throw me another one.
0: You know who I think Scorpio might align well with in terms of movies we've covered on the show. Bob I'm Hope. Speaking of St- Bob Hope, you nailed it. Nailed it. We can call him Peanuts from now on. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, <laughs> um, I think of Stellan Skarsgård in Ronin. Where he has like, yeah, you know, he's obviously like an agent who's been hired. But like, there's that scene where he's sitting there like pointing the uh, the gun at like the kid on the playground. Mm. That is Scorpio. That lines up pretty well. So I think if we have him as someone who is a working operative but is clearly unhinged and dangerous, it helps explain him a little more. Because Stellan Skarsgård, while a complete lunatic in Ronin, has a focused mission throughout that you know story.
1: Yeah, and he is definitely a loose cannon, much like our Scorpio is. So. I guess, I guess he has gone rogue from his original organization, and he's now a gun for hire. And the organization has sent Agent Callahan out to bring him back into the fold or bring him down. And I don't think it's like insane to
0: have a lead, you know, protagonist spy who's fed up with the uh, the institution with which he works. I think that's a pretty common trope in spy movies. We, we've
1: seen it a million times, and we've only done a hundred films. So <laughs> that's right. It just goes to show. Yeah. I mean, even in Bond films, like he, he resigns his, his his commission in MI6 at least five or six times. Yeah, I mean,
0: you've got Lazenby getting fed up in Honor Majesty's, and then you get to the Craig era where it's an even tenser relationship between them. I mean, License even to in the kill, last film. Hands it in. License to kill. Um, but I think of even No Time to Die, where he's finding out what, you
1: know, Ray finds his M is up to and is completely like fed up with the organization Hmm, absolutely well that's our pitch for dirty harry uh, as a spy film would we still call it dirty harry oh boy i'm um or is it or is it day of the scorpio day of the scorpio that's pretty good actually
0: um dirty harry is such a weird title for like a spy
1: film yeah i don't i don't know that that works it's a weird title for any film really I I think I I don't know what like because back in those days you didn't really have trailers you did have trailers but you you wouldn't necessarily see them on TV as much right Um, so like if you just saw like a paper listing Dirty Harry showing you your local Cineplex you'd be like what is he a window cleaner I mean I'm sure
0: that they were just throwing up enormous banners of Clint Eastwood's face everywhere
1: with Dirty sure. Harry. I can imagine that. Him and the and the forty-four Magnum. That's uh that's gonna sell tickets. That'll put butts in seats. Definitely, definitely. Okay. Um well yeah, that was our chat about Dirty Harry. We both sincerely recommend you check it out if you haven't already. Um as always we wanna thank you all for supporting us here on Patreon. Uh we're getting ever closer to our goal of upgrading our microphones so we won't sound like this anymore. Actually, that's a lie. We will still sound like this. I'll just sound more nasally because my microphone will be better. Looking forward to it. (laughs) As I'm sure you all are too. Um, But Cam, what are we talking about next time on Agents in the Field? Yeah, we are gonna wrap up our Star Wars prequel coverage
0: with our review of Star Wars episode three, Revenge of the Sith. Here we go, people. Let's see if uh <laughs> let's see if the uh the final chapter
1: delivers a little better than the first two on the revisit. Um, I was quite up on Phantom Menace, but I was definitely low on Attack of the Clones. So uh hopefully yeah. hopefully Revenge of the Sith bumps it up a little bit. But I'm not looking forward to watching them younglings get taken out. That still makes me sad. Master Skywalker, what are we going to do about There's too many of them. (laughs)
0: How is it we did like uh, two movies, Dirty Harry and uh, Star Wars for this round, and they both feature like children in danger and Star Wars is the most violent one
1: in terms of the kid violence. Yeah, that's crazy. And even like him being set on fire at the end, like his flesh burning. Yeah, they both, and I wouldn't be surprised if Dirty Harry had a higher rating in like the whatever the rating system is. Oh, yeah. It was a hard R. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. when you think about it? Hmm. Well, there you go, folks. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to join us next time on Agents in the Field as we check out Star Wars Episode 3, The Revenge of the Sith. But until next week, listeners, I know what you're thinking. Did we record six podcasts or five? Well, to tell you the truth in all this excitement, I kind of lost track myself. But being that this is SpyHards podcast, the most powerful podcast in the world, and it would blow your ears clean off, you do got to ask yourself one question. Do you feel lucky? Well, do you?